Thank you very much. Uh, well, I have a kind of pretentious title. Um, no, you won't believe it, but <coughs> the end of history. So, uh, but I was uh, listening to the Bible the other day, and I, I uh, happened to be listening to Genesis chapter 6, and what struck me, and I thought I'd share that thought with you. So, But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 24. So, uh, if you want to join me by standing, we'll read in Matthew chapter 24. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. This is verse 36, excuse me. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noe were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noe entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you would bless us this evening, even uh, through this simple thought, and even through all my weaknesses, that you would have your way, and, and may we learn something of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. And of course, Genesis chapter 6 is uh, is uh, the flood. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. <coughs> All right. And so what I thought we'd do is we'd do a little Bible study tonight. And so we'll go through, and uh, I don't know how far we're going to get. Because we've got communion, I don't want to take up all your time. But we're going to th- go through this, and we're going to look at some of the words, and we're going to pull some of the the meanings from that to maybe uh, enlighten us and help us see as it was in the days of Noah and how well it matches up to today. Because there's something really interesting going on. And uh, I was looking at a note I wrote, and it said, always be watching with your spiritual eye. Because your physical eye is always watching as well. And so the things that we see in one dimension, we have to be aware what they mean in the other dimension. And uh, to be honest, things are so good in one dimension, this physical dimension. There's not a one of us who comes to church hungry. No. There's not a one of us, well, except Brother Nate who looks, you know... He used to be a normal person. Now he looks like a skinny person. You you know what I mean. We're all a little little chubbier than we should be. There's medication. I mean, uh, I was talking to someone at my work, and and we were talking about medication. And Tiffany wouldn't be with us except for modern medication. 
And this uh, this lady at my work, she's a cancer survivor, and she said, I wouldn't be here today except for modern medication. Uh, raise your hand if you wouldn't be here except for modern medication. Yeah? Okay. Well, is that before or after you had your kids? Because, you know, if you're not here, then none of your kids are here and none of your grandkids are here. You understand, in one dimension we're having a really good... But in another dimension, it feels like we're falling apart. And so there's this, this uh, what are we looking at? Physicalize or spiritualize? And if we look at the days of Noah, we're going to see some of those ways in which the world is falling apart and why it's unsettling to us, even though we're living in such, well, it's the best time in history uh, to live on a natural level for the resources, for the, uh, for the advancement in science. But let's have a look what it says in Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass, this is verse 1, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. So in the time of Jesus, uh, the largest recorded city in the world was the city of Rome. How many people were living in Rome at that time? Anyone know? No, it's more than that. It's more than 250,000. The estimates are 800,000 to a million. That was the biggest known city had, we'll say, around a million people living in it. So, question, and this is from the UN statistics, because I looked this up, from 2018. How many cities in the world have over a million population? Anyone want to guess? A hundred? Two hundred and fifty? Higher. It's not quite as high as a hundred thousand. It's actually uh, from 2018, 572. That was four years ago. Okay. There are f- so men began to multiply. So you t- it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, and, and there's a scripture uh, with that. Let's, let's just have a look. And this was really interesting to me. Psalms uh, 144. Okay. Because I was looking up this word, um, uh, men began to multiply. Uh, so um, he's talking about the blessings that come. I will uh, verse nine. I will sing a new song to thee, O God, upon psalm tree and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises to thee. And it says that our sons, verse twelve, may. Uh, maybe as plants grow up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. And that word ten thousands, that's multiply. And I thought, ten thousands, the sheep in the streets. And I remember uh, being in, in um, Tanzania, and seeing the uh, Maasai uh, shepherds uh, herding their sheep down 
down the centre of, of town, you know, a spear and a club in their hand and taking the sheep through and a big flock of sheep just passing through town, you know. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Men began to multiply. And, and how many, you've all seen the pictures of, uh, like, New York and the, and the people just crowding out and the streets are just cram-packed with people walking through and it's like a, a flock of sheep multiplying. You, you, you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. And isn't that interesting that we see that this multiplication is uh, on the earth? Uh so then, and the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. Verse 2. And they took them wives of all which they choose. <laughs> and uh, this, is, this is something from the Institute of Families. Uh, and talking about the, um, the number of relationships men and women have. And they said... Uh, they estimate from a report that was published about cohabiting that 65% of the entire sample of people that were in this report had cohabited with a romantic partner at least once at some point outside of marriage. And so took them wives and lived with women and had that uh, and we're seeing the same thing today um, so so God said my spirit verse 3 shall not always strive with man for he is also flesh yet his day shall be 120 years and there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children unto them and the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And that's really interesting, because that word giants only appears twice in the Bible. Okay, The English word giants appears many times, but that word giants, nef- nephilim, appears just twice in the Bible. And I thought, isn't it interesting where it appears? And that's in Numbers chapter uh, 13. Verse 33. All right. This is this is in the report that the, the, the 12 spies go up to the land. They come back and they give the evil report. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so, and so were we in their sight. Oh, there's so much interesting in there. But the first thing is to say, there's God, and he sees the evil of the world, and he sees his promised land, the land, the world, that he made for his children, inhabited by giants. And he says, this is a sign of the 
of the end time as it was in the days of Noah. And there's the children of Israel going into the promised land and saying we can't we can't go in there because of the giants. And it's the same kind of giants that filled the earth at the beginning when God destroyed the earth. And so God destroyed the, the giants off of the face of the earth in the flood. But God also destroyed the giants out of the land of Israel. But it was for fear of those giants possessing the land of promise that the children of Israel decided they won't go in. They wouldn't go in. Okay. And that's really interesting because if we're living in the same times, then we're also living in times of giants in the land. What kind of giants? Things that you feel that you can't stand against. We saw the giants. What do you feel like? I'm so interesting. And, and um, let's think about this for a second. Do you feel like a grasshopper ever? No, serious question, but think about this. Okay, the president of America was taken offline. Donald Trump was taken offline by Twitter, Facebook, by all the social media platforms while he was still in office. Okay, in Canada, they were calling up, they were were closing down banks accounts of people that had donated money to the terrorist organization. Of the truckers in the Canadian, okay, that's what they used. That's the logic they used. Okay, um, so the question is, how quickly is it going to be that they decide Grace Ministries, under the terrorist leader Don Hoffman, needs to be taken offline, needs to be vanished, and anyone who's ever donated anything. Now, Nate, thanks very much. Uh, you, you sent me that uh, information about the taxes and the donations. Okay. Is, is your bank account's going to have to be frozen? Thanks, Nate. <laughs> so we are now. Okay. So, but, but you see, now uh, Apple just turned off all its services in Russia. Okay. How much do you feel like a grasshopper now? What's the point of a grasshopper? It's that you can you can be squished. You're not very big in comparison to what's going on around you. And if you look in one dimension, yeah, we're just a bunch of grasshoppers waiting for for the big tech companies and the government and everyone to squish us. Do you see where I'm coming from now? But if you're looking with your spiritual eyes, you're seeing something different. You're seeing as it was in the days of Noah. There are giants in the land that make us look like grasshoppers. But what are you looking at? The giants. And, and to be honest, if you're not frightened a little bit, if you don't see the potential to be frightened, then you haven't really thought about it. All right? But. Faith is to see the potential to be frightened and to say, no, I trust in someone who's bigger than that. Yeah, you understand. Okay. So faith, uh, you, you can't have faith unless you actually see what you need to overcome in one dimension. And then say, but it doesn't matter. I don't count the deadness of my body. I count the promise of God. 
So, there's the giants. So, the problem was, that assumption, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so were they in their sight. You see, don't make that assumption. Stay with God. So, the giants were in the land, and they were mighty men, and they were men of old. Men of renown. That's really interesting. What does men of renown mean? Uh, let's turn to First Chronicles chapter 14. We'll get an idea of what a man of renown is. And we'll see how interesting and how applicable it is to today. First uh, Chronicles 14. I'm not seeing, and I didn't bring my iPad up the front. What was that scripture? Men of renown, men that are known. Okay. And David perceived, verse 2, And David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel, for his kingdom was lifted up on high because of his people Israel. And so David became a man of renown. David became known in the area a man of renown. And so, who, it's very interesting. Do we have men of renown, worldwide men of renown today? We certainly do. Uh, and, and it's fascinating to see uh, that Ukraine sent a message to Elon Musk and said, help us out. And he was able to bring his satellite communication uh, and to the aid of a country against another country. If that's not a man of renown, okay? So it's, we're living in a world at, with people that can have worldwide influence and have had worldwide influence. People like uh, Bill Gates, uh, men of renown. Everyone in the world knows who Bill Gates is or has access to the product that he invented and developed, uh, Microsoft Windows. Smartphones, uh, again, Steve Jobs. These people, so we're seeing, we're living in a time of men of renown. Now we get to some interesting stuff. Verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually alright, wickedness, sin and what is wickedness? what is sin? we've talked about this, missing the mark it's from uh, you, you're shooting and you don't hit what you're aiming at you have sinned. You have missed the mark. And it doesn't matter why you missed. 
Maybe someone jostled your elbow. Maybe the wind blew the arrow off course. Maybe the sun was in your eyes and you couldn't see properly. Doesn't matter. The point of loosing the arrow is to hit the mark. And if you don't hit the mark, you're a sinner. That's pretty brutal, really, isn't it? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so this is a lesson for you folks who are a bit younger. You've been brought up nicely. Have your nice smiles and your nice clothes and you've, you've never gone out and you've never, you've never, uh, had drugs and you've never gone out and murdered and robbed a bank or pillaged a continent or done anything like that. Okay. And you sit in church, play your cello, sound very nice. Everyone says, God bless you and says, how lovely you look. And you're like, what me? How am I a sinner? I'm a good girl. I'm a good boy. Okay, well, how are you a sinner? Have you ever missed the mark? Because Jesus said, whosoever is angry against his brother without a cause, uh, or sister, we'll include you, because otherwise the Morris girls will be free from sin. (laughs) But without a cause, all right, it's the same as murder. Like, wow. Isn't that quite something? Why? Because we're aiming towards something. And what are we aiming for? We're aiming for living our life the way God wants us to live our life. That's our aim. And any time you fall short of that aim and get angry with your sister without a cause, with your brother without a cause, with your wife without a cause, you know, where's my hat? You moved my hat when you were tidying up. I didn't touch your hat. No, you must have moved. Oh, wait, I remember. I left it over there. Sorry. Angry without a cause, you see. Just little things like that. You've acted in a way that misses the mark. You're a sinner. And sinners need the Lord. And so it should just highlight to you how much you need the Lord. And how lost you are, even if you think, you know, that you're sitting there being good. Alright, so, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only continually, only evil continually. Now this word imagination is a very, very interesting word, because we think imagination is something like, hmm, let's use our imagination for good. I imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. Ah, the lambs will come and I'll be able to pet them and the lions will come, I'll give them a cuddle and it's like imagine. And then we can use our imagination for, for evil. Ah, imagine if my brother's head just exploded and I never had to do anything with him again. Okay? Imagination. But let's think about imagination a different way. Let's think about it in a scriptural way. Let's turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16. And we're going to find a word, exactly the same word that's translated as imagination here, translated in this verse. And it will give us a different outlook.
All right, we'll, we'll just start. Um, well, this is good because it, it's talking about this whole thing. We'll start from verse 13. Wherefore, the Lord says, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. So interesting that, isn't it? The fear of God is taught by the precept of men. It's just a commandment. Why did you come to church today? Is it just a precept? Is it just a commandment? Is it just because that's what we do because it's Wednesday night and mom and dad are making me go to church? Okay? That's not good enough. That's missing the mark. It'll drive you pretty low if you think of all the ways you miss the mark. But then you say, but Jesus' blood covers all sins. All right. Therefore, behold, verse 14, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or the thing framed say of him that framed it, he hath no understanding? Alright, so somewhere in that, that passage is the word imaginations. Okay, the imagine. anyone have a guess? Not understanding. Not understanding. It's actually the word framed. Shall the thing framed serve him that framed it? He hath no understanding. And Josh isn't here, but he's uh, he's framed a house before. You frame a garage. And what does that mean, to frame it? It means to put up the basic structure on which you're going to attach everything else. Okay? And that's the same word as imagination. So when it says the imagination of their hearts was continually evil. That means the way they thought, the basic structure of their mind on which they pinned everything else was evil against God continually. So it wasn't just, oh, I think I'll do something evil today. Not that kind of imagination. But it's describing this is the basic framework on which you hang all of your thoughts, all of the way, everything, every way that you see the world is framed by this imagination that you have. And it's evil continually. So, I looked at the data behind that uh, study about cohabiting partners. And... uh, there was a there was a uh, a question asked during that survey, which said something like, "Is it okay for a man and a woman to live together to try things out before they get married?" And the majority of people said, and this is an American uh, survey, the majority of people said, "Yeah, that's okay." All right. And there's something wrong with the basic framing of the way they think that they're hanging everything on because that is not the way 
we find in the Bible that God designed it, which makes it missing God's mark, which makes it sin, which makes it evil, which means if you go into the world with that mindset, your thoughts are continually evil. So it's not your thinking all the time, oh, you know, let's do something bad, let's rob a bank, let's donk someone on the head and steal their money. That's not evil thoughts. Evil thoughts is to say, well, you know, let people live their own lives. It's okay if they're doing that. It's okay if they're doing that. It's okay if they're having abortions. It's okay if they're living together before they're married. That's okay. And accepting that instead of saying that's actually against God's word. Now, we'll get onto the place of grace as well because we can go down that path too far and get very judgmental about everybody. Right? But that framing. Let's have another look at another scripture, uh, imagination. All right. Uh, Turn back a few uh, chapters in Isaiah to chapter 26. Verse 3, you all know these scriptures, okay? But imagination is in this scripture as well. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Okay, Philip, which word is imagination in there? Mind. Mind, correct. So there's there's more to that. That will keep him in perfect peace. And they could have translated that, whose imagination is stayed on thee. How many people have watched, uh, There's I can't remember the name, but there's a, uh, a film about William Tyndale who translated the Bible into English for the first time. And uh, there's a scene where he's saying, listen, I, one, of his, one of his friends is talking him and saying you, you're using all kinds of different words to describe the same word and he said well that's simple in english you know how would you say happy and he said you know it's this word how would you say joyous same word how would you say you know and and so there there are different ways we use words here in english that don't capture the full extent of a word in hebrew But if you see this imagination is talking about the way you think, it's talking about your mind. It's talking now, we see your mind is stayed on the Lord. What does that mean? That means your thoughts, the frame on which you are building your house and attaching everything to, the foundation of that frame is stayed, has a foundation in the Lord. Now, isn't that really interesting to go from, from Genesis and imagination and to Isaiah and to say, there we go, we're thinking about how we're framing our mind and making sure we're not frame our mindset isn't continually evil. So, not just what you think, but the way you think needs to be in line with the Lord. So it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. It grieved him in his heart. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Just to have a little understanding of the way this uh, grief works. Or what it, what it means. Just 
Okay. So, chapter 8, and uh, we'll start from verse 1 just to give the context. You can read the whole chapter. But And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake to Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And so they come back into the land, brothers and sisters, they come back into the land of promise. We've come back into a land of promise. Okay? Every promise in the Bible is for us. And we know that during the dark ages and the restoration of the church, we are meant to be raising up and walking and stepping into the book of Acts again. Okay? And they went back into the land of promise and they didn't see a temple, they saw the ruins of the temple. And they didn't see a walled city, they saw the ruins of a city. And they didn't see prosperity and peace, they saw ruin. And sometimes it seems like we see that. That's our experience. If God be with us, where are all the miracles? Okay? And so Ezra says, here's the law of God. Here's the law. Here's what we should be doing. I think this is where you're at, Brother Don. Okay. So they read the law of God. Verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reason. And Nehemiah, which is the Tersh, Tersh, Sister Lenore, help me out. She has a nice pronunciation Bible. <laughs> she doesn't have that one. Well, that, mean, that word means governor. He was the governor. And Ezra, the priest, the scribe, the Levites, taught the people and said to all the people, And now, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So if, if what Brother Don is speaking about is kind of depressing you, that's a natural reaction because what you're seeing is where you should be compared to where you are. Okay? And he said unto them, and this is what we're going to say this evening, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto your Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites stilled all the people, saying, hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that they declared to them. All right, so if you understand, you go from saying, this is depressing, this is miserable, this is, look at how far I am, to saying, this is the promise that God has brought me to, that I can walk into, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. And to walk in that, I need the strength of the Lord and let's rejoice in these things that we hear. And it repented the Lord. And this is the repentance. Neither be ye sorry. That's the same word as repent. Okay? The thing, the word of God that had come out, that was meant to be a cause of joy, became a cause of mourning and weeping. And he said, no, no, don't mourn and weep. Joyful. This is what the word has come for, to bring joy and to bring strength into your life. And so when the Lord repented that he had made man on the earth, 
There's an element in there that says, this man that I've made, this creation, that was meant to bring me joy, that was meant to bring me peace and happiness, that was meant to be holy, that was meant to be a feast day, has become a source of grief and sorrow and mourning and weeping. Okay, And that's what happened. And the Lord is looking. How is the Lord looking at our lives? Can we be the salt of the earth that are going to bring that saying that the Lord is bringing joy? We are bringing joy to the Lord by the way we're living our lives. Or are we bringing grief and sorrow in the way that we're living our lives? And the Lord is repenting that he made us. As it was in the days of Noah. Okay. It grieved him at his heart. Grieve the thing created for joy. Become a cause of mourning and weeping. And the Lord said. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast. Creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. Because I just want to, I just want to bring one more thing to you, and then we'll go back to finding grace. Okay. So again, we have another description of uh, the problem in verse eleven. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And that word corruption means it was destroyed before God. The thing that it was made for had been destroyed. It was no longer usable. But let's have a look at that word violence. The world was filled, the earth was filled with violence. Uh, Psalm 27 verse 12. And so we tend to think of violence, you know, if you go and smack someone around the side of the head, that's violence. But there's other meanings to that word uh, that, that we'll just take a quick look at what the world was filled with and see if, if it's similar today to today. All right. Yeah. Uh, teach me thy way this is verse 11 teach me thy way O Lord and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies deliver me not over into the will of mine enemies for false witnesses are risen up against me such as breathe out cruelty that word cruelty same word as violence okay false witnesses that breathe out cruelty do we see that in the world today we certainly do. And while there's such tremendous prosperity on one side, there's such tremendous cruelty on the other side. That, uh, you know, cancellation of people. And, and um, <laughs> there's one famous case uh, of a woman who went on a trip from America to South Africa. I don't remember her name, but it comes to mind. And she posted something on Twitter before she got on her flight. 
and, and it's quite a famous uh, case because it spun up out of all proportion. It was a, a joke in poor taste. And by the time she got touched down in Africa and turned on her phone, the whole world had turned against her because of a joke in poor taste. And people were gloating that, oh, she's really going to be, she's going to be so surprised that we've destroyed her life in between the time she got on the plane and she got off the plane. And they got her, her, uh, she worked for a financial institution, if I remember correctly, and they got her to be fired from there and she went into hiding. Someone's probably heard that story. No? But that's, it's, uh, if you're interested in seeing how this works, or one of the clearest and earliest examples of how this works, how something said in jest, and then witnesses that breathe out cruelty, who want terrible things to happen, and are able to produce that in the world by the power of, of the online mob. Breathing out cruelty. Deuteronomy uh, 19, 16. So we see it's not just a matter of physical violence, although we do see that, but it's a matter of something um, that the true cruelty, which is your words have more power than your actions. Okay. Uh, And this is verse uh, 16. One witness shall not rise up against any man for any iniquity, for any sin, in sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. If false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both men, between whom the controversy is, shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days, and so on and so on. But if false witnesses, that word false, if violent witnesses, it's the same word as violent, filled with violence, filled with false witnesses, filled with cruel people. Proverbs uh, chapter 3. Well, let's not turn there. Time is getting on. It's oppressor. People that oppress other people. That's violence, is oppression. Unrighteous, uh, Exodus 23.1, if you want to take your notes down. So unrighteous, oppressing, false witnesses, breathing out cruelty, are all tied up in that word violence. And so it's more about a a, a mental state and what you're putting into the air with your mouth is more noted uh, not just what you're putting into the, you know, putting into someone else's face with your fist. It's also that, that what you're speaking. And when you see that, you say, now that makes more sense. The world is filled with violence. We're not just looking at, you know, the murder rate and the, and the violent crime rate. We're looking at the violence of people's mouths. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Ah, grace. All right. And so we're going to finish here in Esther, chapter 5. Because this is, this is a wonderful example 
of uh, grace. Esther chapter 5. Oh, this is, this is such a peculiar book in the Bible. And, and think about this. God said, I am going to put in my Bible a book that doesn't even mention me. You think about that. God said, I'll put a book in the Bible that doesn't even mention me. There's no mention of God in the book of Esther directly. Okay? Uh, so, you know... That's, that's so interesting, and so we can find God in stories that don't even mention him by name. Now, not all of them are in the Bible, but you can use things that don't mention God by name to testify of him. All right. Now, it came to pass on, we know the story of Esther. It came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And, and she was taking her life in her hands. And she said that plainly. I'm taking my life into my hands to go into the king because... Husbands and wives may um, relate to this slightly. Okay? You're doing something. You're busy doing something. You're concentrating. You're focusing on it. It's business. It's important to you. It's important to the family. It's important to the survival, the long-term survival of the family because it's to do with money or to do with business and you are like laser-focused in that's from the man's side. Okay? And from the sister's side, it's like there's something important to do. There's something that you need some guidance, some opinion on. There's something come up and you need to interrupt him. And he's just focused on something that really isn't that important because, you know, if he had faith in God, everything's going to turn out all right. And this has to do with the family and everything important as well. And so you say, honey, and so you hear, honey, and you're like, not now, whatever it is, it can wait because I'm right in the middle of doing something. Okay? Now, at that point where we talk about imaginations and evil imaginations and missing the mark again, it might be that some people might say, oh, oh, man. I wish I was the king and I could just be like, off with her head, just take her out of the court, chop her head off. Whatever she's got to say, I don't care because I'm busy right now and I'm running an empire that's controlling the whole world and you're bugging me right now. Okay, well, that's the situation that Esther was putting herself into and it was a very real danger because you you, you got to understand in that time, it wasn't, she wasn't the king and queen, as in she was the one and only. She was the preferred wife of a whole number of wives. Okay? So there wasn't that exclusive relationship that we think of. Uh, it was more like Solomon had a thousand wives, and one of the wives is coming to bug him. It's like, I've, I've got 999 more of you. 
And so I don't need this one anymore. And remember what happened to Queen Vashti as well. So just trying to put into context the seriousness of the situation. You're approaching someone with whom you have a loving relationship, but you know if you've approached that person wrong, if he's in a bad mood, if he's a little bit, if he's a bit hangry because he hasn't had his breakfast yet, you know, you're taking your lives in your hands. Friends, brothers, sisters, that's how we approach God, or that should be the fear of God that we approach him in every day. Okay, That he is a loving father, that he is a loving God, but he's also... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That reverent respect. Okay? And like I've said before, the fear of the Lord, uh, <coughs> it's like you got to open the mains box of your house and with a screwdriver and deal with some of the bare wires that, that are in there. Like, this isn't a job for kids. This is a job to double and triple check that everything is off because one mistake and you're dead. Okay? So, reverent respect. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained, and it's the same word, favor, grace, in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Okay? And so in that moment, you pass from death into life. Yeah, you were expecting the favor of the king. Yeah, you have a relationship with him. But until you know, you've passed. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah approached God, and God looked at him and said, I can extend life to you. You are worthy. And may we be in the situation... Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through reverent respect, that we can be found in the days of Noah, found in grace in the sight of the Lord. May we find that grace in the sight of the Lord. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief, Ye all are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your warnings, as in the days of Noah. Lord, may we find grace in your sight through the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe, may we be the ones found worthy, watching as faithful servants, waiting for your coming, ready day and night, Lord, not slumbering, not drunk, not surfeit of this world's cares around us, but focused on you, listening to your word, watching for your coming. Lord, if I've said anything that's, uh, that's wrong, pray you bring it to your light, that you forgive me for it. But Lord, the words that you've spoken, that will go into our hearts, may they bring forth the fruit that you've sent it for. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, let's let's sing. Uh, Noah had drifted on the flood many days. He searched for land in various ways. Troubles he had some, but not from above. God gave him his sign on the wings of a dove, on the wings of a snow white dove. God sends down his pure sweet love, a sign from above, on the wings of a dove. On the wings of a snow-white dove, God sends down His pure, sweet love, a sign from above. On the wings of a dove.